We're here to uncover secret conspiracy theories that they don't want you to know about. Welcome back to Motorsport 101. <laughs> what we need now is Commander Riker from Star Trek to just with a montage of nothing. It's just total fabrication. We made it up, etc., uh, etc. Et hey guys, made this welcome. one up. <laughs> we made this one up. Welcome to episode three ninety two of Motorsport one hundred and one. I'm your friendly neighborhood host Dre Harrison, and welcome to our Formula One episode for the Dutch Grand Prix at Van. They're putting chemicals in the Red Bull that turn the freaking frogs orange. RJ has gone full native uh, on um, this episode. Uh, he, he's turned into Alex Jones, and I think he just broke his own microphone. That that, that takes some doing. Um, oh, I owe forty nine million dollars in defamation fees. I'm gonna, I'm gonna <laughs> eat a bigger bowl of chili. FIA <laughs> <laughs> doesn't want you to know. Yuki Sonoda, Nelson PK Jr., Norberto Fontana. <laughs> it's all related. <laughs> Oh, that's God. it. That's the show. Uh, places you can find us. <laughs> <laughs> this is the most off the rails intro that I've ever done in the eight years I've been doing this show. That takes some doing. Way to go, gentlemen. That, 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 that's an effort. Uh, <laughs> we got Jason in the, in the audience section saying he wants a refund. <laughs> like, I don't blame him. Yeah, we blew <laughs> out his ears. Uh, don't worry. You can uh, you can buy some a new set of those. Of course, yeah, they're replaceable, it's fine. Um, we'll be getting into the 2022 Dutch Grand Prix. Well, not much of it, actually, to be completely honest with you. It's more to do with everything else that happened around the Dutch Grand Prix of 2022. Um, we'll talk a little bit about the race itself, because it was a pretty conventional, straightforward strategy race, unless you were logged onto Twitter during the race itself. Because, oh boy, Yuki Sonoda thinking a wheel came off his, his, his uh, car. It's like that Domino's meme where it goes up to the FIA is rigging the entire championship towards Red Bull again. For, uh, like, it's, it's that so time of the week again. It's, it's, you know, the smallest domino is Prince Devitt is really tired of his tag team partner's stupid antics. The biggest domino is CM Punk and the Elite having a backstage altercation after a pay-per-view press conference. <laughs> All of this started when Apollo 55 and New Japan broke up. Oh, yeah. It's it, it's wild, to say the least. But so we'll be talking about the differential failure heard around the world and what it meant and the discourse regarding that as Max Verstappen won his 30th career Grand Prix. His 10th for the season. Already, we, we have seven to go in in this in this year, and Verstappen has won two thirds of the races this season. Wild shit. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about the single biggest debate in motorsport that's broken off in the last week. Red Bull wants to bring in Colton Herta from IndyCar. It's really a lot more <laughs> complicated than that. But don't let people on Twitter tell you. Otherwise, we'll also talk about the resolution to the situation at McLaren. They were finally able to confirm who the second driver in their Formula One team will be for 2022. 
it's or 2023, I should say. It's exactly who you think it is. And uh, Mika the, Hakkinen, the sabbatical is over. Finally, it's finally over. Oh, I mean, praise! Why me. does Mika Hakkinen look younger and less blonde? And why is his name Oscar all of a sudden? And why is he Australian? Like that's weird. Um, that is a hell of an accent switch. It is. It's 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 the complete polar opposite to that. But uh, we'll get through all of that in the next hour or so. With me, as you could probably guess by now, <laughs> Cam Buckley. Hello, sir. Uh, there, nothing I could say in this moment will top how RJ opened the show. So uh, just continue. Nope. Yeah, well, that, you got it covered. And RJ O'Connell. Uh-huh. Um. The Ferrari has a yellow engine cover for Monza this weekend. Oh, my God. You know, Ferrari's year is being so deeply Ferrari'd that the the truck carrying their power units caught on fire on yep. the way to Monza after mm-hmm. Zandvoort. And they're doing a commemorative livery that is getting them dunked on from up on high from just about everyone. It's because they didn't go all in on the piss car. I, I mean, I, I like the rear wing. I like the front wing. The engine cover is an abomination that begs for apocalypse to quote one James Rolf. <laughs> Ferrari out here cosplaying the Kansas City Chiefs. Much like their, much like the tenure of Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes, they may have peaked too early this season. <laughs> NFL season starts tomorrow at the time of recording. It already started by the time this podcast is going out. It's weird having expectations. Go Bills! Yeah, go Patriots. Can't wait to go 6-11 and 11 again. It's going to be great. Um, We're fucking mid. We're <laughs> fucking mid. We're fucking mid. Uh, you'll, you'll at least crack 500. You, you I, got I, that's dog. all I'm really... I, I'm expecting a decidedly mid, not too good, not too bad year. Thank you for listening to our football podcast. Tell hmm. everybody where you can find us. Yeah, we're on youtube.com forward slash NFL Sunday ticket. Um, no, say Motorsport 101. We're on facebook.com forward slash Motorsport 101. We're on Twitter at Motorsport underscore 101. If you got to follow us personally, you can at Harrison101HD, at RJ O'Connell, and at CBuckley917. Um, if, you, if you really like us, you can back us financially on Patreon as well, patreon.com forward slash Motorsport 101. And, if, and hey, all of our content, including written pieces on everything, in motorsport we've done that's happened this weekend the dutch grand prix moto gp san marino grand prix and indycar's grand prix at portland is all covered by yours truly on the website a lot of fun stuff and not so fun stuff to talk about regarding that weekend up on there of course the next three episodes will be all about that as well so check that out also one more thing before we get into the main discussions the nomination ballots for the Motorsport 101 Awards for 2022 is now open. Yeah, you can send in your nominations for the Motorsport 101 Awards for 2022 and have them debated on by literally some podcasters in the month of December. If you want to to get the nomination sheet, we've pinned it on our Twitter account. But you could also follow our friend of the show at Jason underscore Poland underscore 87. He's the guy that organizes our nominations for us. Follow him on there. Tell him you said hi, or at least just send in your nominations on there. So you can do that as well. We'll be doing the Motorsport 101 Awards 
in December. So check that out. The nomination list is now available. Um, so check that out if you haven't already. So send them in. Right. Without further ado, let's get into the 2022 Dutch Grand Prix. You know, in his first home race, Max Verstappen had to win a game of raw speed. This time it was a game of strategy. He was attempting the two-stopper from pole with both Mercs on the unconventionally good hard tire going for the alternate one-stopper. Until we had the incident. Mm. Yuki Tsunoda suffers a progressive differential failure over the course of about two laps. Leads to a VSC with 24 laps to go. And everyone gets a cheap pit stop. And then Valtteri Bottas's power unit died with 18 laps to go. Bringing in another safety car. Another mm-hmm. strategic switch with Max and George Russell, Russell sorry, switching to softs. And leaving Hamilton out in the lead on used mediums. It didn't even take to the... First corner, Verstappen drag races him down the main straight, takes off and wins by four seconds over George Russell to take his 10th win of 2022, four in a row, 30th of his career, and inching closer and closer to the in-season wins record. What do we think cool. of this one, guys? You know, before um, before Hamilton debriefed and, you know, before the whole thing with the engine mode, I was... I was shocked that at a track like Zandvoort, that track position, prime track position, as it turns out, would not be more important than having a fresh set of tires. That's what I was thinking that, like, you know, even if Hamilton stays out on worn tires, it's a tough place to pass. But then, of course, he doesn't not not how here. I mean, don't get me wrong. Passing at Zandvoort ain't like you know, passing it like it wasn't. It, it wasn't easy to pass like we've seen at some tracks this year. But it also yeah. wasn't nearly as difficult as it was last year. It yeah. was possible. We saw many yeah. an overtake into turn one this time round. It was doable this time round. They even had a, had a great wheel wheel to wheel fight between Mick Schumacher and Sebastian Vettel in the middle of the circuit, let alone down the home straight. So that was quite reassuring. Um, yeah, this was like this was like a six out of ten race. Yeah, it was the solid Dutch Grand Prix. I think we were all hmm. expecting this to be just uh, an absolute slog, unless you are a super down bad Verstappen fan who will just mm. who just wants the guy to run up the score. And by the way, with the way things are going right now, oh, Verstappen, could. Verstappen could I don't think it's I don't think it's a matter of if he's gonna break the single season wins record. I or think when. it's a matter of to what degree. It's that I mean this was the bogey track given the traits of these cars across the year. Mm. He could break Seb's consecutive wins record with races to spare if he keeps going like this. We have friends of our community that have been saying for like weeks that he could win out the rest of the season. And the more I watch it, the more I think, you know, he just might. But man, was I not having a good time when a driver that I really liked became the focal point of the latest Formula One conspiracy. 
Uh, New World uh, Order, Illuminati, it's all connected. <laughs> the religious cult that was backing Japan's Liberal Democratic Party. Oh, Jesus, is that too well, soon? Dre, oh, Dre, Dre, you do the, you, you can talk about this. Head over to uh, FormulaWars.com and we, yeah, we can unpack all this. Yeah, I, I will um, get on the hazmat suit and, uh, and enter the toxicity. I mean, yeah. this was, I mean, I was watching the race in real time on social media. I normally live tweet these races pretty much every single week. The amount of people that immediately jumped up and said this was sus when there was actually a perfectly rational explanation as to everything as to what happened is pretty laughable. Yeah. In it was also like it was also like at least Nelson PK Jr. dumping into the wall at at Singapore at least that was slick. At least you could buy that Nelson PK Jr. just ran out of talent on his own. Right. This was, as Cam described, a differential failure. They are hard to spot from a pit wall straight away. It's you, you, want not... to, you want to know something? Mm. You want a fun fact? Go on. I asked my dad about this mm. um, because he blew about four diffs in his drag racing Camaro across the years. Um. And, you know, it, it feels like a loose wheel because in, in this case, one of those wheels would come off because you snapped the rear axle. That's not mm. how F1 cars work, but it feels like one of your wheels isn't on because it's only driving one side of the car. Yeah. Right. So, of course, we get the radio message of Yuki saying the wheels aren't fitted. It makes sense given the failure that he's got. He's, he loosens his seatbelts, which, by the way, did get him a reprimand for that because that's a big no-no, but and he's got so many reprimands now that he's got a 10-place penalty for his troubles. Yeah, his fifth of the year, which is a 10-place grid penalty. But just as he's about to abandon the car, Alpha Tauri obviously communicate with their mechanics, say, no, the tires were fitted properly. Come back to Yuki and say, yeah, no, no, the wheels are fitted, keep going. Um, of course, he's, he's in nurse-to-car-home mode at this point because, again, as we now know, the diff was broken. Um, they get Car's it back basically to... crabbing down the road at that stage. Exactly. He gets it back to the pit lane. They retighten his seatbelts just in case. They send him back out there. They realize, okay, it's probably the diff. And then they park him second time around to finally finish his race. The amount of people that immediately assumed that this was a conspiracy to help Red Bull win their home race was off the charts. And... Yeah, it's 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 laughable that it even gotten to this yeah. point. I got a good gauge of how many people were just kind of joking about it, but then I also got a sense of like, you know, maybe people were really invested in this. Oh no, no, there was the usual six or seven. Uh, you know what? You know what their profile picture is. You know what hashtag is in their bio. That same six or seven people whose entire online existence is devoted to worshiping one driver and. Uh, forgetting to feed their kids <laughs> were immediately on that conspiracy game. Yeah. It, and look, of course, this being the second time in 10 months, we've had a major discussion regarding this. This was always going to pop off. There was a rational explanation for everything that happened. I think people wanted the drama of it and it's, it's the drama, Mick. I yeah. think the big one, I, I think the big quote is, was over the radio and, 
was basically the one to go out of the pit lane and stop the car. And mm. I'm thinking when AlphaTauri is saying that, they're thinking that in a sense because that would trigger a safety car regardless if there was a car stopped in the pit lane exit. Yeah, there's not much runoff room at Zamford. That's why people yeah. like racing at Zamford. <laughs> Yeah, but that, yeah. that's the general rule of thumb at most tracks. Is if there's a car stopped in the pit lane, at that, like we saw with Raikkonen, uh, with the the, tie, the finger trouble he had at Bahrain 2018, mm. I think what they were probably thinking in that moment is that okay, we don't want to clog up the pit lane and then potentially screw over our other driver. And it's, a, and it's already a tight pit lane. Yeah, yeah. it was already. Tight. I, I'm we... thinking. I'm thinking they probably made that call as to not screw over Gasly if they want to bring him in for a stop, because then that really disrupts. That really disrupts everyone. So Point in is, trying to yeah. not be disruptive, hmm. they disrupted the race. Yeah. Point is, is that people already had their axe to grind at this point, as if Verstappen didn't needed any sort of help to win a race. He was completely dominated. Point going in. Yeah. Not, yeah. Yeah. Like there what? was. <laughs> there's, there's nothing. N- nothing to gain. No. Not really. They they were already comfortably winning this race. And, and, you know, what happened at the end with Mercs and and getting their strategy call wrong, I think was ultimately irrelevant in the end because I think Max always had the pace to win. What was embarrassing after the race was that not only were there more discussions about a conspiracy and people looking for something grand. To... And we need to also mention, because it wasn't just those on social media. Mm-hmm. It was also Sky Sports. Yeah, Sky didn't help with this either. Uh, Sky, Sky openly, Ted Kravitz openly said it while reporting on the race. Yeah, it was fishy. Yeah, and so of course a lot of people led into that. It doesn't mean Ted Kravitz is an oracle for everything on Formula One, but... You know, he he got the he got the info about Monza's ticket situation wrong live on the broadcast in this exact same weekend. So you know, Ted Kravitz is not the gospel you think he is. Love him, but he's not. He does a great perfect. job, but 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 uh, nobody but, gets it right think, all the time. I, I think the the official broadcasters saying something that incendiary is very very dangerous. Yeah, it's extremely suspect that. And it's it's only going to fan the flames, which look they want to do to a degree because they're a TV network and they live off ratings and clicks. I get that, but you know, roasted is getting posted exactly. Uh-huh. And the fact that there was a screenshot taken from Formula One TV of Red Bull Racing's chief strategist Hannah Schmitz that did the rounds on social media. Um, with her smiling during the race because Red Bull strategy worked out, which is a completely fucking normal thing job. to do. Like, a completely normal thing to do in a positive situation for your team. And the fact that she was clowned and dunked on and compared to the cast of Mean Girls or called ugly by people and just the amount of toxic behavior that was talking about her, despite doing nothing wrong, is absolutely abhorrent on every level. Absolutely. And, and it's embarrassing that in a sport where many of its younger fans want to push for diversity, want to push for more representation in the sport that they love, which let's not forget is 90% white male, right? The Like Hannah Schmidt should be fucking celebrated 
Like, the best team in Formula 1 has a woman as their lead strategist. That is awesome on every level. That's fantastic, fantastic. for the sport. On every level. I friggin' love that that's a thing, right? We should be celebrating this. But it goes to show you that once the mask comes down from certain people, it's like the representation only matters if they're wearing a black T-shirt instead of a navy one. Yeah. And that's I, 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 the, shit. It, it doesn't matter. The, all the good in the sport doesn't matter if it's not working for me, which is just a, a shit mentality to have. Yeah, it's selfish. It's, al- it's already bad enough for women in the sport when there are at least 15 incidents of women reporting being harassed at the yep. Dutch Grand Prix over the weekend. Yep, yep. indeed. And n- none of that helps. I happen I, to make a I happen to make a tweet about this situation. You can go find it if you want. I'm not going to repeat what I said here, mm. um, because frankly, joking about it any more than I heard that that already was is really doesn't help. Yeah, but and 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 beyond that point, regardless of the fact that that you know it did end up basically resetting everyone onto the same strategy. It ultimately, I don't think, would have mattered because this is the scenario if that that uh, VSC doesn't happen. Max Verstappen goes long, pits onto softs, and he's released behind the Mercs, who are on 30-plus lap old hard tires with a 2-plus second a lap offset. And as we saw from the, that engine, the power of God and anime in the back of his car. Right. They were damned if they did and damned if they didn't. And same with the final call after uh, another Ferrari engine failure. Valtteri Bottas's engine packed up. Oh, yeah. We can, we, can ex- we can explain uh, Yuki Tsunoda's differential failure. But how could we possibly justify, you know, known Mercedes mole Valtteri Bottas <laughs> having, a, having a convenient, having a very convenient power unit failure? Remember, remember friends, these games are for two players. Yep, yep. It's, um, uh, but yeah. even after that, noted Mercedes, Mercedes Mules Sauber Engineering. <laughs> hey, hey! Remember the C9 and the C11. Oh yeah, it's all a, connected, that, man. That's, that's right. Um, e- even with that call, Mercedes were not in a position to win just on lap time. I, the best they probably could have managed out of that would be to pit both cars and get the easy double podium because, man, this is the third race in a row. Ferrari has shown up and gotten their ass spanked on race pace. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's before before Carlos Sainz's first pit stop turned into yet another case of Ferrari comedy, the gift that just keeps on giving. Yeah, and that's before even getting to the unsafe release, which dropped him down to, what was it, eighth as a final eighth. result? Oh my! If Ferrari are legitimately in danger of losing second in the constructors after being just miles up earlier like, on in the season. Ferrari have got a genuine chance of finishing third in a two hunts race. Like, <laughs> all you can do is laugh because if you don't, you cry. But uh, yeah, I, sh- I shed all my tears for Ferrari a couple years ago. Yeah, pretty um, much. But Mercedes, Mercedes tried to go for the win and really kind of overextended themselves, and Lewis was on the receiving end of that. Well, don't worry, kids. 
radio messages aren't to be taken seriously when Lewis Hamilton is the one on the receiving end of it. Just just thought I'd point that one out. Yeah, the team team doesn't deserve it. Look, it's people say things in the heat of the moment. I don't really hold it against him. No, we shouldn't. I uh, apologize should. after the race. Yeah, it's a dead issue for me yeah, as far as I'm concerned. I've said, it, I've said it before. Like the worst thing you could say about Lewis Hamilton is that he's a bad loser. Yeah, and the good of Lewis far outweighs the bad. I just wish that same benefit of the doubt was given out a week earlier. Again, oh yeah, bit hypocr- bit hypocritical, but hey. It's all funny. We had signed caps in the in the we had signed caps left in the garages. It's fine, um, you know. <laughs> and to that effect, uh, how many points is Max's lead now? One hundred nine. Oh God, um, this, yeah, this championship's could, over. He could conceivably wrap this up in Singapore if mm-hmm. Perez and Charles fail to score more than twenty points over the next races. It's done. Yeah, it's done in Singapore in in, in three weeks' time. Yeah, yeah. more realistically, titles on Bra- Bra- more, more realistically, he's going to be crowned at Suzuka, but it's it's a matter of when, not oh. if. Oh, yeah. could you imagine at Honda's home track? Mm. Oh, uh, yeah, it's a shame. It's a Red Bull powertrain. <clears throat> on the subject of Red Bull, um, there is a there is a uh, we're we're going to finish this show out with hot uh, transfer market news. One deal that has already happened, but of course we got to talk about something that has caused a great deal of consternation among all corners of the Formula One and motor racing community. And that is the fact that Colton Herta, despite sitting eighth in this year's IndyCar Series standings with one race to go, despite being mathematically eliminated from championship consideration, uh, he has a reported handshake deal to join the AlphaTauri Formula One team for the 2023 season if the FIA grants a special exemption to give Colton a super license for racing. Here are some of the tricky situations. You normally need... 40 points to get a license. Colton only has 32 as it stands. However, the FIA would open the door for potential force majeure and special permission if the driver has more than 30. This was a rule put in place during the pandemic due to some series not being available, like the W Series in 2020. Curtis Indy Lights points weren't counted in full due to a lack of full-time competition. That is a series that had notoriously been struggling for car counts in the last few years. And it was I think I had nine cars the year that Colton Hurt was in it. And you know, it's it's not the fault of the guys on top because you know if your championship is led by Colton Hurt and Patricio Award, yeah, I mean the, the top is the the top the talent the top tier talents are not the problem there. Mm. There's been intense debate on a lot of on both Everybody. sides of the motorsports pandits whether or not IndyCar is worthy of more super license points. Now, only the series champion gets guaranteed status in IndyCar, they get the 40 points if you, if you win the championship, whereas the top three in Formula 2, they get the 40 points right away. So we've not had a driver come straight in from the highest ranks of American open-wheel racing, graduating to, Indy one, to Formula 1 directly since Sebastian Bourdais did it coming out of the last year of a split form of American open-wheel racing to drive one and a half seasons at Toro Rosso and nobody's done it since. Dre, should Colton Herta get his super license granted despite the lack of points? And is IndyCar being shortchanged on the FIA ladder? This is a very complicated issue. And 
it all, I think, ultimately boils down to two problems. One, the entire system is based on subjectivity. And that's always going to piss off certain people. Because Mm -hmm. a lot of people will think that, well, you know, my favorite series should be worth more than your favorite series. Etc. Etc. And brother, get su- top three in super formula should get the forty license points automatically. Mm-hmm. See, um, and the other issue is is that well, look, I get it. A lot of people that love IndyCar, and I've seen many people that I know, people that I consider friends, have a lot of people that bat for IndyCar on a regular basis. Will argue that IndyCar's drivers should get more credit on the global motorsports ladder. Ultimately, there's no right or wrong answer to that question. Like it's, it's ultimately subjective. Like, like you could make, I look, I personally, I've got no problem with Colton Herta as yeah. ability as a driver. Yeah, dude, I, think- I love that Toro Rosso, as cynical as the motivations are behind this from element Marco, right? It's a it's a good gamble that I haven't seen in the driver market since well Matt Verstappen came up right and he is the reason why we have this form of gatekeeping in the first place which is the super license system and look I guess I I don't mind that it offers some level of like minimal gatekeeping like you don't want some guy that just you don't want on- someone coasting on purely money and connections to get into f1 and then be struggling to even make 107 percent that is not what we're that is not what is being requested here yeah yeah no yeah but what about nikita babspin well that was just an incredible herculean carry job by the brilliant engineers and mechanics and high-tech gt Mm. that's just a phenomenal job for them you can't win them all but like this was always going to be the biggest stress test of the super license system because this is a driver that people who predominantly watch Formula One don't get a gauge of. And you might look at his results on a Wikipedia page and think he's won some races, but he's never competed for a title. But I'll tell you, what I've seen of him is that Colton Herta, especially on a road and street course, the relevant skill of a Formula One driver, when he is on it, Oh, yeah. He's unbeatable. Well, well, and the thing is, is that we have context because we actively watch IndyCar. And we know that the big examples I'll show this year is that the Indy 500 matters so much more than every other race. It matters more than the championship itself. And if you have a bad Indy 500 and your name isn't Scott Dixon, because, well, (laughs) Scott Dixon just is that he is that guy. Um, guy? (laughs) That guy. Mm. Um, the guy in the corner having pancakes. Mm. Um, it gener- it destroys your season. It destroys your championship. And from the month of May this year, where Colton was looking early on was looking like a title threat, had a couple shaky rounds, and then had the month of May from hell between an engine failure, which truncated pretty much all of his practice to then a disastrous crash on carb day, which meant that his primary car was destroyed and he spent race day a back marker. Yeah. Yeah. He is. He has only had one good day at the Indianapolis 500, and that was in 2020 
the weird year where the Indy 500 happened in August and there wasn't as much passing and everybody else was just uh, sucking up the crumbs of Takuma Sato and Scott Ditson all day. Pretty much. And yeah, this is this is going to be the problem. Like, Formula One fans will always have a level of snootiness regarding anything else in terms of motorsport. Uh-huh. IndyCar, sometimes their fan base has a level of insecurity about where their series is in relation to everywhere else. It's not going to end well when those two worlds clash. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it is big six of one half a dozen of the other energy. Yeah. Yeah. And the straight up answer to this is there is no straightforward answer on this. Like, here's the thing, right? I love Colton Herder. I would have no problem. I would love to see him in a Formula One car. The issue oh, yeah. is, is that if you're the FIA, you have no reason to bend the rules for this man. None. Like, why? Like, like the, the Formula Two ladder, as flawed as it is, has also produced an incredible recent set of drivers. Verstappen, Leclerc, Russell, Norris, Albon, Gasly. You know, when the bottom rung is Giovinazzi, Nicholas Latifi, and Nikita Mazepin, you've not done too bad. Yeah. It works. And it's hard. Like The backbone of the sport is guys that have come up through that Formula 2 ladder in recent years. These are the guys that you're going to be rooting <laughs> for for the next decade. There yep. is no question about that. And if you're it, Formula Motorsport Limited, the pr- promoters of Formula 2 and Formula 3, uh, first and foremost, why didn't you put your foot down and say that Yuri Vips can't race after that incident? And second, you know, yeah. it's, not in, it's not in your best interest to just promote other series as a pathway to Formula 1. Like, why would you? you know, but then that's just it is that this whole system is, you know, we were talking uh, the other night with King about this, that this whole system was not intended to be a rigid distribution of points as it has been. It was meant to change depending on the value of each series relative to kind of the global trend every couple of years. Mm. And since then, the architects of that system, of the super license system, have moved on into other roles. And the current kind of gatekeeper of the super license system, those in power to actually make those changes, are more than content to keep it the way it is because it is in their best interest to do so. And so the system was put in place with the intention of it evolving. And it hasn't. Yeah. And it can't, it cannot in its current state, unless a, some sort of force majeure situation like the one we're in right now comes up. And they, and the FIA has already shown that it can be a bit malleable when it comes to granting force majeure licenses, because let's not forget Naoki Yamamoto's Japanese Grand Prix practice run came with some, with a little bit of, you know, Bending those hard and fast rules to get him in for one FP1 session. Yep. But that was one FP1 session of the track that he knows like the back of his hand. It's going to be a lot different when Colton Herta comes over to a whole slate of series, a whole slate of tracks that he either has not driven since his one or two years racing over in Europe or has never driven at all. I don't think that's such a big factor given just the level of simulator like the level of simulator work that these guys do now. I think the track experience is not so much a big deal. I don't even think the tires are such a big deal, given that the the, the tires that Pirelli creates for F2 and F1 are 
just couldn't be further apart if you tried other than size and the the sticker on the side mm. um i i would think that given a real chance by a team yeah. that is prepared to put its weight behind you yeah if you are if you are good enough you are going to be able to show that yeah. irrespective of whether it's colton herda or it's someone pulled up out of wec or fe or any of these series Oh, yeah. Without a given doubt. Given the like, tools that are in place now. Like, don't get me wrong. There is always a chance that Colton Herta could wash out like Michael Andretti in less than a year and be punted back to IndyCar. But on the other hand, there is also an equally good chance that the guy that was racing the likes of Lando Norris competitively in British Formula 4 could go out there and score the majority share of AlphaTauri's points next year. I think, that's, I think that's performances. I think that's running a marathon before we can walk. Here. Yeah, mm. I, this is more the, the how does he get into Formula One from here? Because as mentioned, with the hellscape that was his month of May this year, which no matter who you are, other than Scott Dixon, that destroys your championship. No matter what he does, he is not going to have the super license points necessary either from IndyCar or running FP1 sessions, because the schedule will conflict a little too much. And anecdotally, mm -hmm. all the last guys that did it, Jacques yeah. Villeneuve won the 500 and the title. Juan Pablo Montoya was already going to be in North America as like a layover before he got to F1, and all he did was win the championship as a rookie and the 500 as a rookie. Cristiano D'Amata, we forget how much of a weapon he and Newman Haas were together in the early 2000s. And then, of course, Sebastian Bourdais won four straight titles. Mm -hmm. yeah. And with all of those, I mean, with the exception of Bourdais, and there are circumstances around that, all of them came over and showed pretty damn well in Formula One. But I don't think that the talent of Colton Herta is what's under question here. Not, yeah. It's not, and there's it's, a hell of yeah. a lot more than talent that decides, oh, look, we will say it now, we've said it before, and we will say it in the future. Formula One is not a meritocracy. It is not a meritocracy, and it has precisely zero obligation to throw Colton Herter or anyone in IndyCar a bone. It doesn't. There, there's no, and there's no argument that anybody could tell me otherwise. Yeah? Is it, is it shit as a fan? Absolutely. I would love to see more drivers take part in more series, and I'd like to see that net lowered a little bit. Yeah. For well, me... Now, well, now, unfortunately, you do... Your, your obligation is... Your star, your star best team in the sport is demanding to get this kid in. However much that actually matters, that's up to the FTI, the FIA to decide. Yeah, and look, for me, I don't necessarily think this is just a super license problem. Like, don't get me because I look at the super license rules in front of me right now. IndyCar is the second highest rated series of anything on the board. Right, like people say, oh, well, they're treating IndyCar like a junior series. That's up for debate when it gives out more points than Formula E and the World Endurance Championship and Super Formula overseas. I, like, I think that's a bit of a reach. What I would say is the problem isn't necessarily the system because I put the 2019, 20, and 21 seasons of IndyCar into the pot. With Formula 2's current requirement, the only extra four guys that are available for a license are Will Power, Simon Pagano, Pato Award, and Colton Herter. Two of those four guys are never getting an F1 offer anyway. 
because they're yep. they're almost 40 or have surpassed 40. Right. But then, he, but then the system's doing its job in that situation because you're getting a couple extra guys, two of which are perfectly valid options, but you're also you're also not just letting anyone in co- and letting people coast off results yeah. right, to right. get into F1. No, and the point I was going to make here is that it's not even necessarily about the license in that po- at that point. It's about the culture of Formula One team bosses. Mm-hmm. Like, there's only been one team boss that has given a shit about IndyCar and bringing drivers in from that series into Formula One as long as I can remember, and that's Dr. Marco. Nobody else has given a shit. No one else has entertained that possibility. No one said Even a word if... about Alex Below last year. Look, look, this is the thing. We because, had a... because it's not just about bringing an IndyCar guy in. It's about bringing an American driver in. Right. And the way these two uh... bosses see it, they... Spain's already got Carlos Sainz Jr. It's kind of silly. Yeah. And look, Fernando Alonso, yeah. who will probably race until he's 60. But <laughs> they've only had... But America's only had Michael Andretti, Scott Speed, Alexander Rossi the last 30 Alex years. Rossi having a cup of coffee in a car that could barely be considered an F1 car. And this but is the my thing point. is, though, yeah. to, to, to meet that point, I was that, but that's just it. He's trying to get someone in, and he can't. Uh-huh. Yeah, and that's what it ultimately is going to boil down to here, is that, like, the point I was going to make, and Cam alluded to it, there was a 24-year-old sophomore second-year Aster Cup champion who was a three car lengths away from winning the 500 last year in Alex Pillow, and I didn't hear a peep from an F1 team about trying to hire him until Zach Brown lied to him to use leverage to get him on his IndyCar team. But so, at the it, same time last year, we had a fairly tame, silly season, both in IndyCar and Formula One. This year, it's been complete fucking mayhem. Yeah, because we'll of get to that shortly. Yeah, like, <laughs> and it's that's the problem I've got here. It feels like this is this is more to do with nationalism than it is necessarily to do about bringing in the best. Because, like I said, Polo was right there. And nobody heard of put a peep. And Helmut Marco, I suspect, is looking at this because right now his in his his academy is not in is, is in the middle of what I call a soft reboot. Look, you look at the names right now. Liam Lawson has not blown anybody away, right? Ayumu right. Awasa and Dennis Hauger are good drivers, but probably need at least another year of development, yeah. right? Jahanda Ruvula has caught way too many bad breaks, and it's a shame because Formula One could use another South Asian star on the grid that could be competitive, but it's just not going to fall that way. Like, he was already looking at opportunities outside of Red Bull. And the thing is with Dr. Marco, ever since Sebastian Vettel, he has had ridiculously high standards to where he's not going to take anybody that he doesn't think is going to win multiple world championships up to Formula One. Max Verstappen, Max Verstappen's upside is now the expectation, and yeah, that's really hard to meet unless you are checks notes uh, Max Verstappen, right? He's currently right. on course to break every record, every single season record in the book. Mm. Before we move on from this point, Dre, um, I wanted to ask, like, do you think there's like a similar thread to say superbike riders, whether it's worlds or in any right. national championships? And how much like IndyCar guys haven't been getting a shake in Formula One, how super bike riders haven't been getting a 
getting an opportunity in MotoGP. Right. So, so what I was going to say is that the last two, you know, production bike ladder guys who got to MotoGP was Danilo Petrucci and Cal Crutchlow. Petrix was a good MotoGP rider. He was not, I would say, world championship caliber. Same with Cal Crutchlow. Guys who had X-Factors in the rain, guys who were pretty quick, you know, guys who absolutely were absolutely more than good hold, enough to... More than capable of holding their own. Absolutely. They were, they were top five level championship riders who could win races on a good day. And yeah, it's proof that to a degree it can work. But it, they were the, the problem is is that these were not big hitters on the way in. Danilo Petrucci was a World Super Sport one, Super Stock one thousand champion when he got to to MotoGP, and he was on a shitty IOTA bike for years. Cal Crutchler was World Super Sport champion when he got a when he got in through the back door at Tech Three in twenty eleven in MotoGP. The big hitters you're thinking of, the Jonathan Rays, the Top Rack Rasgati Oglu's, even Tom Sykes. From a decade or so ago, when he was when he won a world championship with Kawasaki, remember him? Um, they Spies. they are not getting top tier MotoGP offers. Jonathan Ray openly said in an interview last year he never got a top flight factory offer in MotoGP, despite winning six world championships in a row. Well, look at look at the modern look at the uh, modern I would say is four stroke era. Who's there as the guy who came in from production-based bikes and won it all? Nicky Hayden. There's only one. Nicky. He is a friggin' he was a friggin' unicorn in that respect. Right. It's not an the point is it's not an exact science. And it never no. will be. And Jonathan was and the one person who respected Jonathan Ray's ability massively was Livio Suppo when he was in charge of Repsol Honda at the time. The problem was. He had to handle having Danny Pedrosa, Casey Stoner, a 17-year-old freak in Mark Marquez, and Jonathan Ray, who he promised a, a MotoGP seat to at the same time. But he couldn't fulfill that promise because he had too much talent at Repsol Honda. Pedrosa was still one of the best riders in the world as far back as 2012. Stoner had just won a MotoGP world title. Mark Marquez was challenging for a Moto2 world title at age 18, right? And Jonathan Ray had had a cup of coffee in MotoGP standing in and was only upper midfield. Like, so it's, it's difficult. I mean, Yamaha was flirting with top rack in World Superbikes last year, but that never materialized in the end, despite Yamaha having a pretty dreadful situation when it comes to rider quality. Despite all of Keenan Safagalu's agitation. Of course. Because yeah, Yamaha effectively has one rider right now, especially given, as we'll talk about in the MotoGP episode, uh, Andrea Davizioso's retirement, yep. and they still didn't take him on. Nope. But then that's just it, is that there is there was no, I mean, there were suggestions about the super license system coming to MotoGP solely because of Darren Bender. And I'll know my thoughts about Darren Bender. It's been fine this year. Yeah, yep. that, was a, that was a prediction that I'm glad that a lot of us got wrong. He's been fine. Mm. Not fine enough to stick around the sport beyond one year, as it turns out, but still... Fine as, uh, fine as well, what we were expecting coming into the season was a danger to himself and others. Yeah. He's been fine. Yeah. yeah. But He's... in this case... Red Bull does want to sign Herda definitively, and there is a system in place preventing them from doing so. 
Yeah. And, and that's the thing is, right, as a fan, I would love to see the FIA, you know, use a bit of that force majeure, use a bit of common sense. I would love to see them dismantle the system entirely. Sure. <laughs> There's an argument you can make for that. But on the other side of the coin, the business part of my head says the FIA does not owe IndyCar a bone in the same way that McDonald's has no obligation to promote to, to, to promote Kentucky Fried Chicken. Like, it's cool their... Did, I'd love them to. But it's business. And the FIA has their ladder. It's an established ladder. It works well for them. It's not caused, in my opinion, too many problems regarding getting guys into Formula One. And even if it did, there are greater issues beyond the system, and that is the attitude of Formula One towards IndyCar drivers in the series. Because like I said, we've had one team boss give a shit. One. And Uh, that's not going to cut it, especially if... Red, but and like I said, if Red Bull finds another Verstappen or Vettel or Ricardo level prospect, Colton Hurt is getting kicked to the curb. That's the problem, you know. And the question if is, you've got a series, yeah, of course. And you've got an IndyCar, you've got an IndyCar community that wants to be taken seriously on the global stage, competing yeah. with a global entity, the big dog in town, the guy that isn't got the seat at the table. He is the table by by, Formula One by comparison, who is under no obligation to do any sort of back scratching to get Colton Herter into Formula One. And that's going to be the problem. In an ideal world, uh, Oscar Piastri, Felipe Drogovic, and Colton Herter would all be coming up into a 24 or 26 car Formula One grid. But mm-hmm. we're not in that ideal reality where Formula One isn't artificially capping the number of teams off at 10 to protect the interest of the one of the closed gate community that it already has. I'd love to see it be different, but it's just not like that. But I'll tell you this for free. Colton Hurd and Yuki Tsunoda, if that comes good, I don't care. <laughs> That's my favorite team. I just hope they, the car's good enough for both of them. Yeah, because this year's car is a dog. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, good, good well, luck from, with that. From one shit show to another, we Folks. finally have our answer of who will drive the second McLaren in 2023. Oh, we just gave we just gave a certain prize to McLaren, and we're we're all throwing. No, no, up the fact. it was not delivered. It was not delivered. It uh, is currently uh, in limbo. Uh, It'll get there. But yes, the court has ruled. That's not really a court, but you know what I mean. Uh, Piastri's driving for McLaren next year. Yep. McLaren won their dispute in the uh, contract dispute board of the FIA, and within minutes of that decision being official, they officially announced Oscar Piastri to be driving their car for next year. Is um, Alpine's tweet still up? I believe so. <laughs> I gotta say, I gotta say the uh, the con- the contract dispute. I imagine it would be pretty clear cut because, like. According to some things I've heard, it's just like, well, McLaren offered him a contract to race. Alpine, you didn't. McLaren wins. Yeah, yeah this because uh, as we learn throughout all of the proceedings here, Mans was going to be on loan for two years, 
to Williams. That's yeah. the, that's the George Russell strategy. That's that's how we got years of George Russell pity until he finally got that Mercedes drive. They don't want to like, do that shit again. Like it works if you can promise a really good seat at the end, like like what George Russell inevitably got. He's in a top three car, maybe even top two car in the field right now in Formula One. That doesn't fly when you're a midfielder. Like, and from all accounts of what Piastri's told the media, it looked like he was getting dicked around. It seems like a very typical Alpine junior driver scenario where their youngsters just don't get opportunities at the highest level. (laughs) And, you know, like, to a degree, I get it. Because last year, their combination of Alonso and Ocon was really good. It was a fantastic team. You this know, year, it's that, been really good. Yeah. yeah. It's been, it's, it's a, what they've got is a fundamentally very solid team. Good car, good drivers, and they have a good chance of finishing fourth in the Constructors' Championship this year. Their best season since coming back, right? The problem mm-hmm. is, is that you've got a 40-year-old on your roster, and... Now he's leaving. Not anymore. Yeah, now he's gone, and you've dicked around the the front-line talent prospect that was going to take his job so much that even before Alonso was confirmed to be leaving, Oscar had made it clear to them he wasn't wasn't driving for them next year. How did he screw the pooch that badly on this? He made it clear as, like, Daniel Ricciardo was being lied to about his future at McLaren. (laughs) Good lord. Uh... Which, um, I don't know, Alpine at one point had Oscar Piastri, Joe Guan Yu, and Christian Lundgaard all in their academy, and now they're not racing for Alpine come next season. None of them. Add them to the burning pile of Jack Aitken and Artem Markalov as guys who was in the academy but never actually drove they their car. They dropped cars. Sasha Fenestras, and they're about to call him back to their Formula E team. <laughs> They uh they threw Nico Hulkenberg in the trash, even though he was more or less matching Ricardo every other race. Yeah, he was still um, good. He was still, you know, king of the midfield. Um, Carlos Sainz Jr. Well, that didn't go so well. Mm-hmm. He's now driving for Ferrari, has a win. Um yeah. Jolian Palmer. Enough said, really. Mm-hmm. Um, Do you remember a time when Renault's first factory lineup upon coming back was gonna be Jolian Palmer? They had Palmer Kevin Magnussen. Yeah, Magnussen walked. Like Magnussen was good for him. Yeah, we should, um, we should have Romain, never. We should have never let go of Pastor Maldonado. They couldn't. I know, uh, I know the money they, wasn't there. <laughs> they couldn't decide whether they wanted to keep Romain Grosjean, so Grosjean left of his own accord. Mm-hmm. Um, none of this looks especially good for Alpine. Mm-hmm. Oh, and they were so bad that Daniel Ricciardo left of his own accord, and. Uh, got spanked so bad that McLaren bought him out of his contract a year early. None of this none of this is good. Which no, is, nobody won out of this besides Lando Norris. Yeah. And we all know Lando is exceptional. And yeah. th- 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 and this is going to be the problem for Piastri going forward. Like I love Piastri as a talent. He Oh, no, absolutely. Like He's he's insanely good. The you problem- don't get rookie Formula 3, Formula 2 champions in consecutive years. Those don't grow on trees. There's only two others that are in the sport. Charles Leclerc and uh, George Russell. 
uh, triple S platinum tier talents. Yeah. You know, I, I can't blame Oscar for bailing when he did. Yep. A, a two years at Williams, I'd run two. Yeah. Unfortunately, oh, yeah. he's run directly into the arms of the mediocrity factory because McLaren have also burned through every driver they've stuck into that car since 2013, except Lando. Mm-hmm. And now he has to go up against the same Lando who has effectively ended Daniel Ricardo's career. Daniel Ricardo, who was a driver of the year contender two years ago. Right. And Piastri's a year out of an actual car. Yeah. Good luck. Like, yeah, honestly, because good luck, McLaren, good luck to him. the McLaren is a guaranteed shitbox until they get their wind tunnel up and running, uh, their new one. Mm-hmm. And that is not until 2024 at the earliest. But they're not bringing Piastri to try and win a championship. They're trying You're McLaren. Bring... You're McLaren International. I know. I know what they are and what they should be. I'm just saying that at minimum, they want somebody to make sure that Lando Norris isn't scoring 80% of the points team. Team's points. Well, he, bet, he better hope everyone there, and most of all, Oscar, better hope that doesn't happen. Yeah, I hope sincerely that McLaren gives him the patience or to, you know, to, to realize this is going to be a long-term project. Piastri probably needs like three years under the belt before we even start having a conversation. When's the last time McLaren gave a driver three years? Never. Um, uh, which, let's which see. Is... Kevin Magnuson gone out or Perez gone after one Magnuson gone after one uh, Van Dorn gone after two signs gone after, left after two. Yeah. For a better opportunity. <laughs> uh, Daniel Ricardo, one and a half. The yeah. only example they have right now is Lando Norris. Because That's... Lando Norris has been exceptional. Yeah. yeah. He is a top five driver in Formula One right now. And That's Carlos Sainz Jr. beat him both years that he was there. He just left of his own accord. Yeah, because a better team came calling for him because Carlos Sainz was also really good. So yeah. it's like... Di- <laughs> This is a really tricky scenario for Oscar Piastri, and I hope, like I said, I hope McLaren gives it not patience. himself. Yeah, but uh, this is a very, very difficult climate he's walking into. Mediocre I... McLaren, underperforming, an elite teammate next to him who's already ran through one of the best drivers in the world, and that's Daniel Ricciardo going into that team. Ricciardo was a top they, five I think driver in clo- I think he can come close to breaking even on all the head-to-head numbers. I think it could come close to it. That's he a better. big. That's a big for, for his I... sake. Given McLaren's reputation, he better. <laughs> like that is a big, big ask because Lando Norris is an incredible driver. Like, this is the same team that couldn't look inward and realize maybe they were the problem until they were back markers in Mexico 2018 with the same engine that uh, Red Bull was using to dominate with. Best mm. chassis in the sport, baby. Best <laughs> chassis. Good luck, Oscar. You may need it. And just as we cross the hour mark on our tape and recording, I think it's a good time to wrap this one up. Hope you guys enjoyed that discussion on Colton Herter because, and I, I would love to hear your guys' opinions on this because I've I've had many, many in my Twitter mentions regarding this, and all of them valuable, and all of them valid and useful and like it's a it's a fascinating discussion with no easy right or wrong answer that's what makes it so fascinating because only a set deals in absolutes precisely Uh, and the nuance is what makes it interesting 
And uh, yeah, uh, yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed all of that. Next episode will be MotoGP on the San Marino Grand Prix. Francesco Bagnaia still undefeated since becoming a criminal. And now he's trying... <laughs> And now he's trying to piss off even more fans. We'll get into why in a minute. Formula One is back this weekend with the Italian Grand Prix at Monza. Look out for the mustard-stained engine cover on that Ferrari. And I don't even hate it as much as the other guys in here do. Like that, That's saying something. Also, oh, look God. out for episode 394 coming up later this weekend as well on IndyCar at Portland. So it is a loaded schedule. We're going to keep racking them up. You keep knocking them down and listening to them for us. Basically, you can find us one more time. YouTube.com, Facebook.com, forward slash Motorsport 101. Twitter, Motorsport underscore 101. At Harrison101HD, at CBuckley917, at RJ O'Connell. Instagram, Motorsport101Pod. Patreon.com forward slash Motorsport101. Back us on there if you want early access to shows and all of that good stuff. But uh, until next time, I've been Dre Harrison. They've been Cam Buckley and RJ O'Connell. And for listening through this entire episode, we grant you one super license. Sayonara. Later, y'all. Be sure to cash in your 250 kilometers worth of testing. <laughs> <laughs>